We Infuse Podcast, episode number 23. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast. My name is Dylan McCabe, and in every episode, we give you a behind-the-scenes look at the infusion suite, whether it's a provider office or a standalone infusion center. And in this particular episode, I'm going to be talking with Callie Turchie, the Chief Operating Officer at FlexCare Infusion Center in Oklahoma City, and she is going to talk about what they've done to mitigate risk in the midst of COVID-19. There's also just some timeless business principles that we're going to pull out of this as well, but this is very specific to what everybody is going through now. And so without further ado, let's listen into this interview with Callie Turk. All right. As I mentioned, we do have a special guest on the show today. Her name is Callie Turk. She was actually on our podcast about eight months ago. And if you want to hear a really good story about starting an infusion center from the ground up, uh, Callie and Aaron share that in that podcast. But Callie is the COO and co-founder of FlexCare Infusion Centers. And we kind of want to get an update on how their infusion center has been going and also hear about what they're doing to kind of deal with the just the huge challenge of COVID-19. So Callie, thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, with everything going on right now in the world of infusion and, and just the world and so many different businesses, but specifically how it's impacting infusion centers and patients, we'd really like to hear from you about what you guys are doing to deal with this? I mean, what's your initial reaction? How has this impacted you guys overall? Well, I think everybody would agree that it's been very bizarre, very surreal, everything that's going on. Um, you know, it has impacted us. You know, it's changed over time. So at the beginning of March, uh, when everything started to be more, become more serious, uh, we had to reevaluate kind of our processes and implement new procedures to pre-screen patients and make sure that our staff were, were taking the appropriate precautions and that our clinic was taking the appropriate precautions. But at that time, there was not a lot of information out from the CDC other than if they've, you know, patients have traveled to certain countries, you know, they're at risk. Um, some of the risk factors were out, but we still had a lot of questions with what are the symptoms <laughs> and because they vary and we're still finding that it's kind of all over the place. So uh, since the beginning of March, we have come up with a, excuse me, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ways to kind of deal with, um, with kind of the uncertainty of what we're seeing um, by trying to be more proactive and trying to go with what we know right now from the CDC, but also take kind of a, a deeper step in implementing procedures at our clinic that can kind of go above and beyond, <clears throat> excuse me, what is actually uh, recommended. Uh, because again, signs and symptoms of COVID vary by patient, it seems like, and we're learning new things every day. So um, specifically, some of the things that we have done uh, and have implemented are pre-screening for our patients. I know a lot of uh, a lot of offices are pre-screening their patients. So we do pre-infusion calls uh, 48 hours prior to the infusion. So we always call and uh, we have a set list of questions that we start with and kind of work our way down through the, the tree of questions if they present or if they've had a fever in the past seven days. Then we you know go on to ask about additional questions and symptoms that they have. Uh, sometimes depending on where we get through that process, they have to be 
uh, cleared by one of our nurse practitioners before they can come in. But usually we get to, you know, the second step and say, okay, well, we need to postpone the infusion. Uh, So we are postponing infusions until patients have been fever free for at least seven days. Um, but if a patient has an active cough, there's always other things that, um, that kind of fall into place or that, you know, do require some advanced practitioner, um, review. So we have implemented that, uh, we have began doing fever screenings when patients come in prior to actually taking them back to one of our infusion suites, uh, to make sure that, uh, we are assessing, you know, that morning, even if they don't feel like they have a fever or do not feel unwell, we want to make sure that they don't have a fever. And if they do, we can't, can't see them. Um, we also have implemented uh, masks for our patients and for um, our nurses as well. That is something that has been new in the past two weeks. They were initially not recommending everybody mask up, but I think from a patient perspective, and I, I think patients want that. I think they want to know that I don't think it's scary. At first, you know, one of my thoughts was, are patients going to be worried that we're doing this? Are they going to feel like someone is sick? But I think now that everybody is aware of what's going on, patients appreciate that and they appreciate the extra steps that we're taking uh, to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not spreading anything uh, to, to each other. And uh, by, by design, our clinic has private suites uh, and we also have semi-private suites, but they are a good more than six feet away from each other. So, um, you know, the CDC recommends that, which we luckily have in place by design. Um, But that has been something that has helped us a lot. And patients have uh, been asking to come over to us because they're not in a group setting um, versus, you know, our clinic that has a private setting and private room. So um, that has helped us a little bit. Uh, One of the other things that we're doing is trying to limit visitors So, you know, we, again, because we have private rooms and larger spaces for patients, one of the things that we thought would appeal to patients originally when we designed our clinic was you can bring a friend, you can bring, you know, a caregiver, someone with you, and there's enough room for them to sit next to you in the same room. And uh, that has been something that we are trying to deal. We're not saying no to everybody. Some some patients do have members that need to drive them, or if it's a pediatric patient, there's a parent that needs to come. So it is a case-by-case basis, but we are trying to limit guests that come in. Uh, we are also trying to minimize any visitors, uh, sales staff that come in. Uh, we're really trying to limit it just to patient staff and uh, delivery personnel. And of course, the biggest one is increased cleaning. So we, it's kind of all hands on deck. Anybody that uh, works at the office, they just have to pitch in and we're cleaning everything multiple times a day, handles, um, all the services. Obviously, our normal cleaning would include a lot of this, but uh, I think it's also nice to have patients see us cleaning and know that it's being done. And our staff doesn't want to get sick either. So uh, again, that's we want to protect our patients and also protect our staff. So Um, Those are a lot of the things that we're currently doing to, uh, you know, I guess in reaction to all of this, uh, I guess the last thing would be that our our clinic does some infusions, uh, vitamins, so vitamin infusions, wellness infusions is what we call them. So we have actually stopped all of those because they are non-essential. And uh, I, you know, for the most part, that is in a nutshell what we have done and implemented over the past few weeks 
to make sure that we're ready and prepared. That is so good. And, and, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of infusion centers and infusion practices are, are looking at so many different resources to find the information. I mean, you guys are doing a stellar job with the, the, the phone calls ahead of time that kind of, like you mentioned, the assessment tree that you go through, you know, when it, dealing with risk assessment screening, there's a lot of different resources out there. I know infusion center, you know, the, the NICA national infusion center association has one on their website at infusioncenter.org. Where are you guys going to get protocols for this? You know, it's funny. So um, we have gone to NICA. Um, but the other thing is, so originally we were going to the CDC, but the CDC was limited, to be honest. It did not have enough information for what we needed and for what was coming out. Um, like I said, originally it was really geared towards if patients had traveled, they were at risk. And obviously it you know, a few weeks ago when they still had that same information out, it is spreading in the community. So you have to really use your clinical judgment and really rely on your team and the medical director, everybody that you have, along with the different resources that um, you're finding. NICA is a great resource. And some of them are just your clinical judgment on what do we need to do, even if it, it seems, you know, excessive, you know, patients, patients don't mind that. Um, patients want us to be prepared and they want us to go above and beyond. And, and we do too. We, you know, protecting our staff is key. If we don't have our staff working and if we don't have our staff safe and healthy, we can't see patients. So, um, I think we have utilized as many resources as we, we can. And sometimes, uh, we make decisions based on, you know, what we are seeing. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean it's documented anywhere out, um, you know, out in the news or on a particular website. We just want to be extra cautious based on our clinical judgment. Right. I mean, better to be safe than sorry, right? And exactly. So when we, we're talking about just mitigating risk overall, and I know you mentioned it earlier, but let's just talk about decontamination procedures. And I know you've got you've been in specialty infusion for over 10 years and you have training as a professional uh, in healthcare as a nurse. And so what were your decontamination procedures like before and what are they now with, with this outbreak? So prior to, we always would wipe down, uh, we, so we have private suites. And uh, so each time a patient would leave, we would wipe down the chairs, the equipment. Um, I mean, really kind of wipe down the room really good, the doorknobs and the um, light switches. Uh, but we didn't necessarily wipe down the front desk as much like where patients would go check in. Um, we would wipe them down daily, but it's not something that we would do frequently, um, you know, multiple times a day. Uh, we, so the same thing is happening in terms of we still go in and wipe down equipment as soon as the patient leaves. Right after the patient leaves, we clean the rooms with the same EPA level disinfectants that are recommended. And uh, we have to let those sit and dry for the appropriate time. Uh, and then what we have added is a lot of extra cleaning on all of the different services that we would clean daily. Now we're actually cleaning them multiple times a day. So uh, mainly the parts of the clinic that patients touch frequently. So any surface where like a transactional surface, the front desk where patients would go and talk to be um, checked in, we're wiping that down between every patient. We also have a hand sanitizer and masks up front for them to use prior to them going back. Uh, again, that originally we thought might seem scary and it was before they were recommending using masks, but 
we we thought and kind of the reaction has been very positive. Patients want that when they come in. Uh, we have been wiping down the doorknobs to the front of the office, uh, all of the doorknobs to the clinic that patients touch uh, multiple times a day. Uh, we have a what we call a snack bar, which um, again is not being used much now, but we wipe that down multiple times a day, making sure that uh, if a patient goes back there and utilizes that area that we wipe that down. Uh, we're doing the bathrooms multiple times a day. So it's really more about frequency of cleaning, not necessarily what we're cleaning with, um, but we definitely are uh, being a lot more cautious and spending a lot more time between patients, making sure that it is wiped down. So, so when you when you talk about that and you know those decontamination procedures and, and mitigating risk for your patients, and you guys are clearly going the extra mile. It's great that you've got you know you have um, independent rooms that patients can get infusions in. You can keep people distant. You can limit the amount of visitors and all that. And and that's just you know I'm kind of in line with what you're saying is you know regarding how patients feel about it. I would feel good if everybody had masks on because as these stories come out about what people are going through when they get this virus, especially people that their immune system is compromised, it's, it's, it's awful. And so the last thing you would want is to, you know, be somebody like me. I'm a healthy guy. I'm 40 years old. I, I wouldn't want to get this and then accidentally, you know, give it to my mother or somebody else I care about that's older, that's going to have a harder time with it. So I think it's great. And I've noticed people out and about in the grocery stores wearing masks and stuff like that. Um, so you guys have gone the extra mile there. I guess what's one key takeaway that you'll use from all this with, you know, protecting your patients and, and protecting your, you know, making sure your facility is sanitized going forward. What's something that you think you'll do maybe that you guys weren't necessarily prepared for before? So I think that with any company, whether you're large or small, you all have some sort of emergency preparedness plan, whether that's written or in your mind, you know how that's going to go. And, you know, when you have something to this scale that comes up, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's flooding of your clinic, whether it's a pandemic, um, you can learn from everything negative that happens and turn it into a positive uh, so I think what we are learning is not so much, I mean, the cleaning aspect and getting the um, the preparations and supplies in place for patients has been easy and we're agile enough to do that quickly because we had supplies on hand. But the supply chain, that breakdown did not support what, uh, and when I say that, the supply chain in terms of medical supplies we were at risk of running out of masks to support our patients over a certain period of time, which we um, luckily have been able to receive more masks and and, uh, and get those in place. But we were running into that issue of what would happen, what are our steps if, if this happens, if we run out of supplies, because as we all hear in the news, that is real and happening everywhere. And you as a clinic, you need your own supplies to stay afloat, but you also don't want to hoard supplies either, right? You want to be prepared for the volume that you have. So I guess from my perspective, what I have learned is, um, and what I probably, well, I think everybody's takeaway is we could have been more prepared. Um, and not necessarily, I think the world could have been more prepared. The United States could have been more prepared. But I think that now we know going forward 
how we and how we need to prepare from a supply standpoint. I will always have more of a supply of mass on, you know, on hand than I originally thought our par level would be. <laughs> so just because of going through this experience, um, because I feel like some of those things that you don't necessarily use on a daily basis that aren't necessities become a necessity in this case. And so for us personally, that's what we have learned is that the supply chain and having par levels of certain things that you don't think that you would use 200 masks in a day for our clinic specifically, we would not, that would not be normal, but, um, and maybe for some it would be, but we definitely weren't prepared for that surge of the need of supplies. So for us, I guess that would be the biggest takeaway for me uh, and for our staff. And then also trying to figure out and, and know and really have it in your mind what what staffing is going to look like, what you need to really think about if one of your staff members gets sick and is out for two weeks and not just one, but maybe what if another one of your staff members, what if your staff members can't make it to work? and really prepare for that. And sometimes you can't prepare until it's actually there, but you can you can be a little bit proactive in the what ifs, you know? So um, I guess that would be my big takeaway from this is that we, everybody probably could have been a little bit more prepared for this. And I, but again, I don't know that you can prepare to this degree for this, for something of this degree. Right. Yeah. Unless you're a prepper. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those are the only, really proud. <laughs> those are the only people that are not caught off guard by all this. Um, <laughs> right. So, so yeah. let's let's talk about that. How do you protect your employees? I mean, I've got multiple healthcare professionals in my family. I have a um, one of my nieces. I think she's twenty three years old or twenty two years old. She's a nurse, and my mother started sewing masks for her. So now I think she's got like six or seven masks that my my mother has made for her. Uh, that are washable because the healthcare facility she's in in Houston is running out of masks. So what are you yeah. guys doing to protect your staff from masks to, um, to getting sick and so forth? So they have to follow the same criteria that patients would have to follow. So we take them through that same tree. If for some reason, you know, they have a fever or have been sick, have a cough, all of that stuff, we work them through that tree and they won't be able to come to work. We have had one example um, of that they were fever free, but we wanted to make sure um, that, you know, everything was good. So we got out of the office and had them work from uh, so working from home is an option. And you really have to make sure that you are equipped to handle that and that you're flexible with that because some of this is, pre- you know, it, it's not preventable and you have to be flexible in how you deal with it in order to continue to see patients and, and still make operations work and flow. So um, one of them is allowing them to work from home if they're sick. That is a big one. But also, if they do get sick or feel sick, we take them through the same criteria as a patient uh, that we would for pre-screening. But then also the cleaning of, you know, all the equipment, their desks, uh, the same cleaning that we do in the infusion center for patients is helping them as well. And as I mentioned earlier, they're masking up um, throughout the day uh, as well so that they're protected. But um, that's kind of, and then just education too. I think, I think they feel better. Everybody feels better when they know why we're doing the things that we're doing. Uh, patients, staff, everybody, you know, it may seem extreme, but there's a reason behind everything we're doing and, um, prevention is key, right? So we're just trying to stay ahead of it. Right. And you guys are clearly prepared. And I think it's like any other setting when you sit 
in a situation and you think that the people across from you who are serving you are, are well prepared, it puts you at ease. And so that's, yeah. that's so good. So let's kind of, let's move in a, in a positive direction. I know that there's a, there's a hashtag, I, I think it's called find the positive. And a lot of people are even posting in social media, how this has impacted them in a positive way and their home life and their families and so, and so forth. Uh, I know patients that are coming into your infusion center need to stay on schedule. They need to keep these, um, diseases in check. What has been a positive outcome of all of this for you guys? A positive outcome for this is that I think we are establishing a really good, not that we didn't have a good relationship with our patients, but I think it strengthens a lot of the relationships that we have because they know that we are following up with them so frequently. We are truly concerned about, uh, about them being safe. And we don't, you know, it's not about us getting more and more patients in every day operationally. It's about if you don't feel well, you don't need to come in. You, you can't come in, one, but we need to protect you as a patient. But then also, I think establishing that with the referring providers that we have, that we were taking this seriously, we're doing everything that we can. And I think it shows how you react to this type of situation. I think if you can do it in a, again, it's not going to be seamless, but it's all about how you react and respond. And I think for us as a team, our team has responded very well. Um, they have not been uh, reacting, um, what would you say, overreacting, I guess, to some of this. And they've been trying to keep patients calm, keep referral sources calm. And that has helped us tremendously. But I think it's also strengthened a lot of our relationships with our referring providers with just a lot of the back and forth communication. So um, that has definitely been a positive um, that we found just within our community of referring sources and patients. That's so good. I know I saw an article by, put out by Mark Cuban that said the way you treat your customers and staff now is going to determine your ability to keep them long term. You're kind of like you're, you're showing people what kind of culture you have now as a business in, in the way that you respond to all of this. Right. So that's that's so good. And I know that you guys use WeInfuse software with, and, and you have in that software that tool of those alerts and appointment reminders. How are you guys using that to help in your communication with your current patients? So it's actually been very helpful because we have seen um, a handful of patients that have not been able to infuse. Uh, so we've had to cancel appointments um, and then also the um, patients that have, you know, we've pre-screened and they just declined to come in because of everything that's going on. They just don't want to expose themselves if they don't have to. So um, we have had a lot more patients go back into our flow that um, we do need reminders on. There's, there would be no way to remember all of the patients that we would need to go back and reschedule and what providers we need to follow up with about the cancellation of their patient's visit uh, without we infuse telling us that in the flow. So that has helped us tremendously. Um, one thing that we have not implemented yet that I know we are looking forward to is the uh, text messaging uh, for the appointment reminders. So we, you know, I know that that just came out two weeks ago or a week ago, I forget now, but that's definitely something that we're looking forward to using that will, um, we were, I think the delay on our side is really because of everything that's going on now. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we had someone talking directly to a patient uh, prior to their infusion, but um, to ask them the pre-infusion questions, but that's definitely something that will help us in the future, hopefully in the near future. So um, it's been great. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's the whole goal is to simplify the situation and in a chaotic time like this, it's great to hear that you guys are utilizing the tool to put everybody on the same page, not only your team, but your patients as well. So, well, we could we could go on and I'm, I'm glad that it has created some positives. And it's so interesting because you guys are going to see these patients, um, some of them for several years. And it's so neat to hear all of the positive things you guys are doing to help these patients, to protect the patients, to serve them well, and also protect your staff. And it sounds like, you know, from the outside looking, it sounds like you guys are handling it really well. So what's what's one parting piece of advice? I mean, we've got listeners and we've got consulting clients and we have we infuse software customers all over the nation that are trying to figure out how to best respond to this whole situation. What's one big parting piece of advice you would have for for anybody listening to this interview? I think communication is key. I think that it doesn't. What you do to respond to anything is important, but communicating what you're doing to the community is just as important because if you don't have a letter that goes out to your providers to let them know that you are still open, you are doing A, B, C, and D to, um, you know, to really react to the situation and implementing these things, nobody's going to know um, other, you know, and you're going to have more calls and more inquiries about, are you doing this? Are you open? So getting the word out about what you're doing, whether that's on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, Facebook, social media, or sending out, we sent out a fax to all of our referring providers to let them know with, you know, kind of typed up what our response was. And, you know, I get the emails going out as well from a lot of our vendors and, um, and that is important to let us know and communicate and just keep that line of communication open. Um, and again, you know, just reiterate that when patients come in so that the comfort level for referring providers and patients is there and that they can see what you're doing from in person and then also just out in the community see that as well. So communication on everything, I think, is, is key for these types of situations. Awareness is the cure-all. That is that's that's great. Thank you for making that point. And Callie, this it's this has just been great to have you on the show. I know, uh, like I said at the outset, you you guys were on our show about eight months ago, and I know you've you've built an infusion center from the ground up. You've grown a successful practice there. You guys are clearly going the extra mile to take care of your patients and your staff. And it's just great to hear a success story, and it's great to hear what you guys are doing to navigate this storm and and use it for good. So. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. I hope you guys got a lot out of that show with Callie Turk. You know, I pulled some great nuggets of information there, especially regarding what they're doing to communicate well with their patients, what they're doing to communicate well with their staff, their team, what they're doing to protect everybody. And again, that's a a successful consulting story with We Infuse. So if you're listening to this show and you're thinking, you know, I've been doing my research and want to start an infusion center, Callie Turk and Aaron at FlexCare Infusion, they are a success story. So if you're interested in consulting with We Infuse, you know, we offer two services, consulting and software. So just head on over to our website at weinfuse.com and you can schedule a discovery call with one of the account executives there. Or if you are running an infusion practice now and you want everybody to be unified, you want to have a streamlined process, you want to have all of the features that are included in a software tailored designed for the infusion suite, go ahead and give We Infuse a call or schedule a demo. Just go to weinfuse.com. 
click that big blue button that says uh, request a demo and you can get a demo scheduled and see how much we infuse can simplify your workflow reduce financial risk and really enable you to give the best patient care possible all right this is dylan mckay with the we infuse podcast thanks for listening and i will catch you in the next episode mm-hmm.